your reality is spiritual. His truth is his truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. So we've been going through, you know, starting with the new year, we've been looking at new foundations, starting new things. And I say this every week because it blew me away so much when I said, who in here believes that the Lord is doing new things? Like y'all stood up and you blew me away. So we're going to keep going with this. And where it's kind of led us is we're beginning to look at our adversary at a resistance to the powerful things that God has planned for your life and that he wants to do with you for your joy, for your blessing, and to advance his kingdom. Okay, and so it's led us to our adversary. Now, let me just say, I don't believe that our adversary is really worthy of a whole lot of our attention. The scripture doesn't really lead us to this thing where, boy, you've got to be focused on the enemy all the time and you've got to just be casting the enemy down all the time. And that's not it, is it? The word of God says, you look at me and I am your victory. We start at a victory. We proceed from a victory, right? Before you step out to do anything, you start at the place of victory. And then we walk with him and trust him. We see him work out his victory in it. So look, I know that for a course of weeks here, we're stopping for just a moment and we're looking at the very real resistance. We do actually have an enemy and I believe that he does want us to have the revelation, to have the knowledge of who he is and how he operates. So look, we're just looking at him just long enough to kind of get him in our sights so we can pull the trigger. That's all we're doing. For a few weeks, we're going to be here, but then we're going to move on. We're not going to overly focus on him. You understand, it's not as if we're in an epic battle where evil and good are on equal grounds <laughs> and we have to battle to be on the side of victory. It doesn't work that way. Our enemy is a creation of God. He's a tool. He's like a tool on a game board that is bringing you from glory to glory. He's already defeated. It's not an equal terms battle that we're in, right? Okay, so we just have to be in the know enough that we understand who he is and so therefore how daily we proceed and we walk in a victory. That's what we're doing. And I have an especially long introduction today. Like half of it is an introduction, okay? Sorry about that. And then we're going to dig at something really cool and look at it. And it's important to have this introduction though. So you know that the scriptures are full of your relationship with God. That's what it's all about, right? His love for you. He's crazy nuts in love with you, and he has powerful plans for you. Now, in that, there are various metaphors that he uses so that you can understand this unbelievable love and the type of relationship he wants to have with you. So we see him as father. You know, you are a son of God, and he is your father. We see him as we are his bride. So we see him as the groom, and we see him as friend. So you know how he calls us friend. You're a friend of God. Can you believe that? What does the word of God say? It says that you are a friend because he doesn't withhold anything from you. We don't have time to go look at them scriptures, but he lets you in on everything. He wants you to know everything. That's what you do with a friend. I don't keep any secrets from you. I want you to know my whole game plan. I want you to, to talk with me like a friend in that game plan, right? 
Okay, well, for just a moment this morning, we're going to focus on the fact that one of the ways that the scriptures show us that we are in relationship with the one that loves us, that made us, is that he's judge. Okay, now for us, normally we would think that would be a fearful thing, right? Or a nervous thing. I mean, have you ever been in front of a judge? (laughs) I have too. We're not going to talk about that this morning. But it can be a real nervous thing to be in front of a judge. Well, I want to tell you something about our judge, and then I'm going to show you something powerful about what the Word of God tells us about the fact that that's part of our relationship with him, with him as judge. If you're watching the news at all lately, you're hearing a lot of a word that I never even really heard before up until like a year ago. The word recuse. I don't know. You're probably smarter than I am. You probably knew that word. But you see, judges in legal systems, if you have a special relationship with the parties involved or a special care about the outcome, you have to recuse yourself, right? You know exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, if you just watched the last 24 hours, you've probably encountered this. So now here's the thing. (laughs) Your judge, your loving father, you have a special relationship with him, right? This would be scandalous in terms of in the world. If a case was coming and the case involved a son or a daughter of the judge (laughs) or the judge's wife, right? That would be headlines that would just blow everything out of the water. And you have a special relationship with the judge that we're about to look at in the word of God. And he has not recused himself from your case. Okay, he has no plans to. He's never going to. And it's not only your relationship with him, but he cares deeply about the outcome in your case. Now, you all know, especially those that were with us last week, that for those of you that are part of his household, that are called to his purposes, there is a court case going on in heaven about you. We looked at that in Job, and that's going on. It's going on partly because of God's goodness, because he has plans to take you from glory to glory. You never stop. You're going from glory to glory because he has more and more significant and more and more powerful plans that he wants you to have the joy of participating in. Now, we looked at our adversary in that. We're looking at the three temptations of Jesus, right? And we're just on the first one. I didn't think we'd spend this much time on it. Apparently, it's a very big deal. So we are. And you might remember we looked at two names of our enemy. Accuser. Devil. Diabolos, right? He's a false accuser and a slanderer. That's what he's doing against you and all who are gods. He's doing that over you right now. He's trying his best to slander you in the courts of heaven, to bring false accusation, what's not true about your identity because of what Jesus has done for you. Okay, what's the other name? Tempter, and you remember what that means. That means enticer or examiner. And we looked at God's love in that, really that the enemy only can do what he has permission to do. He's not equal with God. He gets permission because God loves you so much that he has plans that you're going to come through on the other side of that trial changed with a stronghold for the Holy Spirit. A place that could be tempted before will never be able to be tempted again because he's built something in his spirit, a place for his spirit to have a stronghold there. So we saw that last week. Now, if you want to start turning there in just a minute, we're going to look at Luke 18, starting right in verse 1. And we're going to see another name of our enemy that reveals something, but mostly this reveals God. This reveals his goodness and how he is to you, okay? 
And here, so this is a parable of the kingdom. And we've talked about this before. Every parable that Jesus tells is a story where he is trying to give you a glimpse of reality. We live in a natural world, and for the most part, um, the world declares his splendor, but it also lies to us continually. It doesn't reflect what's necessarily true in the spirit, which is more true than the physical anyway. Right? So he tells these parables so that you have insight into reality, where when you align with that, you'll actually be living according to reality. So let's just start in here. This is Luke 18, verse 1. And it says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So there, he doesn't always do that. But just right there, he already told you, but this is what I'm going to tell you about in this parable, okay? That you always ought to pray and not lose heart. That's what it's about, but we're going to find out it gets even more golden at the very end. And so he sets it up. Here's the scene. There was, in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. The judge, he's all about himself. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. That's our scenario. We've got a selfish, self-centered, prideful judge, and we've got a widow who needs justice. It doesn't tell us much about her case, except that she has an adversary that she needs justice from. Now, I want you to see this word. This is the other name that I was telling you about. Adversary here is actually a legal term. It's a court term. The word is antidikos, okay? And it translates literally to an opponent in a lawsuit or the witness against you in a court case, okay? You see how that makes sense to what we talked about last week. So he's given us an insight about that, that you have an enemy testifying against you. You wouldn't have to worry about that. You're going to see that before we're done. And then in verse 4, he says, and he would not for a while, that is the judge would not grant justice for her for a while, but afterward, he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. Lest by her, listen, lest by her continual coming, she weary me. So why does the judge grant her justice in her case? Get rid of her. <laughs> Get rid of her, right. But not to be wearied out because she's continually coming. I'm going to bring my case. I'm going to bring my case. I'm going to bring my case. Now, I want to show you something. Part of the kingdom insight here is that that is a declaration of faith. Do you understand that? You see, you wouldn't keep going to the court. You wouldn't keep going to the judge unless you believed that you were taking this to the right place. Is that right? That's a declaration of faith, her continual coming. So go on to verse 6 with me, and it says, Then the Lord said, okay, now it says, Hear what the unjust judge said. Now that's saying, hear what we just read just a minute ago. Now what we're going to get here is a contrast. This is an unjust judge. This is not talking about God. Next, he's going to talk about himself, and you're going to see a parallel and a contrast. And he says, hear what the unjust judge said, and then in verse 7, And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them. Now that's loaded with all kinds of stuff. I'm going to unpack it for just a minute. First of all, you understand it just identified what I kind of opened up with. It says, those who are his own elect, okay? So they have a special relationship with the judge. This judge should, the way our world works, the way it works in this world, he should recuse himself, but he didn't. You exist in the most highest love, 
that has ever existed, and yet he's the judge over your case. Okay, so his own elect. Now let me tell you something about that. If it wasn't Super Bowl Sunday and we could stay for five hours, we would dig in the scriptures and we would find out what that means, what elect means. You're elect, and we've been talking about this, for purpose. So in other words, it's those who are called according to his purposes. So he's also very invested in the outcome, and the outcome is you. It's who you are becoming because he purposely has opened the case, your case. It's only because he allows it, because he loves you like that. So that's the first thing, you're elect. But then it gets a little weird. It says, elect who cry out day and night to him. That's the continual coming, right? But it goes on and says, though he bears long with them. What the heck does that mean? I'm going to tell you about me a little bit as a father. And most of you know I'm a father and you know my son. And you've probably heard rumors about how good of a father I am. So, But um, it might surprise you that our father in heaven is actually a better father than I am. But you see, so this is what I do. When my son is in trial or temptation or things are coming against him, which has been happening lately, I want to swoop in. Okay, I want to go right in and go, that's not okay with me. I want to snatch him out of that and take him home and bubble wrap him with duct tape. And he's going, I can't breathe in here. And I'm going, hold still. I'm trying to get this piece of duct tape on here. <laughs> Got to be all right. See, that's my inclination as an earthly father that has a tremendous love. And my love's nothing like his. You see, the difference between my love and God's love is the scriptures tell us that perfect love casts out fear. Now, when you're bubble wrapping your kid like I try to do every day, that denotes that there's some fear. I just have to be transparent and put that out there. Whereas it says that though he bears long with them. So let me tell you what that's saying. That's saying that he is willing to let you walk through trial because he's making something. He's not bubble wrapping you. He thinks so highly of you that he knows that you're going to continually bring it to him. You're going to bring your case to him. You know that there's only one place to take it. And he's going to take you on to the other side. He's not going to bubble wrap you. Because he wants to make you into what you become by being in that trial. By making it all the way to the other side of it in faith in him. So though he bears long with them, he's willing to walk it out with you. And then the cool part we haven't even talked about yet. The whole reason we're reading this is because of what comes next. In verse 8, it says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Now I'm going to tell you something. We just encountered something odd. We just learned something about the nature of God. He is one that's long-suffering. He bears long with you. But then it says, I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Who will he avenge speedily? The elect? And those who keep bringing the case, who keep saying, I'm going to bring you my case, and I'm going to bring you my case. This widow is not pursuing any other means to get a different verdict or a breakthrough or a change in her circumstances. She's only going to one place. Her continual coming brings the verdict quickly. Do you see that? So you sort of see a paradox. You learn something about the nature of God, that he's willing to walk with you. He has no fear in his love concerning you at all. See, he's not sitting there fretting, going, oh no, my servant, fill in your name, is going through a trial and I'm not sure we're going to make it to the other side. We've got to, you know, he's not doing that. He has no fear. See, the word of God says, the one who started the work in you will be faithful to complete it. 
So he's not worried at all. There is no fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And our Father's love, our judge, who's completely biased on our side, because it was bought, he was bribed. (laughs) It would be scandalous by the blood of Christ. And the bribe sits there in the courtroom and has his ear on your behalf day and night. He intercedes on your behalf. That's not a court that works like our worldly courts. You proceed from a victory. Okay, and then I'll get to the part I'm really trying to talk about. In verse 8, it goes on and says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? That's odd. You almost have to think that that's out of place, like a typo. I got typed in the wrong spot. Because this whole thing, that whole parable about the kingdom and about what? About your victory, about having verdict over the antidecos, the accuser against you in this epic case about you, over your adversary, is all about faith. The widow in her continual coming is bringing her faith continually. I'm going to bring you my faith. I know that there's only one place to take this. I'm going to bring my case. How many of you have been praying through something either for yourself or for someone else for a long time? (laughs) Okay. You're doing the right thing. And you know what? I want to tell you something. There's something crazy that the Word of God teaches us, and that's that you already have your answer. You already won. I'm not telling you to stop. I'm just telling you, you proceed from a victory. There is no contest. God doesn't contest with your adversary. You have your victory. And so you keep bringing your case. You're taking it to the right place. Bring your case. And eventually you you hit this moment where he says, it's time I bring it speedily. It's now. Have you heard people pray with authoritative prayer where they say, I claim the victory that Jesus bribed for my behalf in the courts of heaven. I claim it. And you hear people praying and they say, right now, you hear words like that? These are people who understand this. They're going, you know what? I understand that there are times God has us walk through things, but there are also times that I feel the spirit of God firing in me that I'm going to claim something that he won for me. I'm going to claim a different verdict right now. Sometimes I even have that kind of faith. <laughs> Sometimes I do that and I find out I was wrong. There's still some walking to do. But, but you understand. And other times not. Other times I see God come right now. This case is going on concerning you, but it's not a case where we're wondering what the outcome is. You proceed from a victory. It's the kingdom now and the kingdom not yet. All right, that was our introduction. We're ready to start our message now. All right, so this is what I'm going to do. Even though I'm barely hitting it, I want you to know that we are still looking at the first temptation of Jesus. So I want to go read it. That's Matthew 4 and in verse 2. And so while you're turning there, this is Jesus has just been led out by the Spirit into the wilderness, and it specifically says to be tempted by the devil. It's on purpose. The Holy Spirit of God does things on purpose. And here it says in verse 2, And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter, there, what's that? The tester, the examiner, because you're going to end up on the other side examined and coming forth like gold, ready for every good work. When the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, remember, 
He only is interested in attacking your identity. I got to be careful. I'll start preaching about that all over again, even though we did that last week. But he only is ever interested in attacking your identity. Why? It's the easiest way to beat us. You see, God is not interested in, I'll see, I'm doing it. God is not interested in you doing things that don't come out of who you are. He didn't make you one way, and then later he decided, oh, you know what, I'm going to make some plans for you. They're not really going to fit you well. They don't have anything to do with who you are. God calls us to be for him. You see, when we're in him and we are fully healthy, who we are, we automatically advance the kingdom of God out of who we are. Is that right? Okay, and I'm going to stop before I just go all the way down that road again. The temptation starts with, if you are the son of God, you think Jesus is secure in the fact that he's the son of God? Do you think he wants us to be secure in that? Yeah. Command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay, now, I don't think I tossed this out there yet, and you probably know this already, but these three temptations step through three types of temptation, the only three types. In fact, you won't find another type under the sun whereby the enemy is going to try to thwart your powerful purposes in God. There's only three. You see, you're made, we put the picture up of the temple last week. You're made body, soul, and spirit, the temple of God. So there are only three areas where he can come against you. Body, he can come against you at the level of your physical needs. In other words, your faith, your identity in that regard. He can come against your soul. We're not even going to go there this morning. Keep me from going there. And then he can come against your spirit. So I want you to recognize that this morning, we're just talking about the enemy coming against you at the level of your physical needs, the level of the body. It's so important to recognize this. And let me see if I can do this. I want to caution you that a lot of what we think of as temptation at the level of our body isn't. (laughs) It actually runs deeper. It's soul or it's spirit level temptation. Now, I think the easiest way to illustrate what I'm talking about here is if we took like sexual temptation. We would often want to think that that is a flesh level temptation, like something that's here in the first temptation of Jesus. Now, I want to tell you something. Most of the time, I'm not saying it's not possible, but most of the time, that is going to be a temptation at the level of the second or third temptation of Jesus. That's a soul that's born in a place that is far deeper than the flesh. And in fact, it's an attack against something that is far deeper than just temptation at the level of the flesh. Does that make sense? So we do a great job of wanting to make everything a fleshly temptation and not realize how deep it runs, how deep the enemy's attacking. But just for this morning, let's recognize that this first temptation, turning stones into bread, because what? Because he's hungry. The devil's tempting him. Use your power to satisfy your own physical needs instead of trusting your father to do that the way a loving father would. So physical needs, the needs of this world, the fact that God made you, a physical being in a physical world, and the enemy can and does try to attack at that level. That's important to understand. Now, I want to show you some things. You see, because here's the thing, and this is going to be powerful. I'm going to show you this, but 
Here's the thing. Every one of these levels that we're going to continue to go through in the weeks to come, these levels of attack, the tiny little bag of tricks that your adversary has, and it is tiny, believe me, is designed to strike at your identity, but God's plan is to make it a stronghold for the Spirit. So in other words, what you see, and we're going to see this as we move forward, Jesus passes each of his tests, and it becomes what his ministry is. It becomes the stronghold of his ministry, the power of who he is to be powerful for the kingdom of God and accomplish his purposes. They are not random attacks. They are allowed by God. They have God's purposes in them. And God is going to finish the work that he starts. Now, the difference between us and him is, of course, I usually have to redo it and redo it and redo it and redo it. And then like a decade later, I go through the trial and God has built what he was always going to be faithful to build. Jesus passed them, right? He just passes them. And he has that strength in his, in his life. You know, your life is your ministry. Your ministry is your life. There's no separation. Okay, now I want to show you something. I'm going to do something a little strange. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. This is just instructions to believers. That's all it is. And I did what you're never supposed to do. I grabbed a verse all by itself. And it just says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now listen, before we even move on, I have to shut the mouth of the enemy because I know there's somebody in here who's going, man, I have been struggling lately to provide for my own. I've even made some scary decisions. Now I want you to know the context here. You see, because the enemy's already trying to condemn at least one person. in here, And since condemnation is against the law because we follow the law of Jesus Christ here, we have to shut that mouth. So look, here's the context. The context here is this is in a discussion in a culture where what they had started to do is tithe, bring their spices and their money and their things according to the religious tradition, according to the law and stuff. But they were doing it at the expense of widows. This is in the discussion of widows. And in the prophets, we don't have time to go there this morning, but throughout, you hear where God is not pleased when we put religion over love. He's never pleased by that. Okay, and never will be. You cannot choose religion over love and please God. And that's what they're doing. Then the culture was, if your brother died, you were responsible to care for his wife. And they weren't doing that. They were bringing their ties. They were being ultra-religious instead. And that doesn't please God. So that's the context here. But now I want you to look. That doesn't mean that the principle's not true. See, the word of God is true. So listen again. It says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Okay, it's just a principle. Now I want to show you this. Go with me to John chapter 1, verse 12. We're going to move through some scriptures quickly now. Here it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Why did I jump there? Do you see it? You see, you're children of God. In case you didn't catch it yet, go with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Here it says, Now therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. What's a saint? Those who believe in him, who've given their life to him. That's the scriptural version of a saint. And members of the household of God. 
Now look, I have to ask you, so let's put this temptation to rest. Who wants to have a stronghold in the place of your physical needs to where you can never be tempted so that you're thrown off course or trial or temptation gets the best of you? Who wants that? That's where we're moving here. And I am praying that this is life transforming, okay? Transforming you. Of course, you walk through the trial. That's what's transforming. And here it tells you that you're in the household of God, right? So here's the question. Will your perfect father ever be guilty of denying the faith or being worse than an unbeliever? No, okay? And you're in the household of God. You see, how did Jesus pass the temptation? This is how. He was absolutely secure in this, that he was his father's son, that he was of the household of God. So Satan could come and say, you've got this physical need that I'm going to try to take advantage of. He could come and try to take advantage of that need, but it was never going to land because he was absolutely secure that he was his father's son. And he wants you to have that same spiritual stronghold in you starts to make scriptures like this make sense. Now, you've heard this before, but I want you to see it in the context of what we're talking about. Look at Luke chapter 12 and verse 29. And here it says, And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. What's that? That's a fearful mind. That's not perfect love. Perfect love casts out fear. Okay, that's a fearful mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Okay, I know you've heard that before. The reason Jesus teaches that is because he actually has a ministry that is grounded on the strength of, that has gone through the trial, that has passed the temptation, and there's a stronghold for the Spirit in this area of truth. He doesn't doubt his Father's provision for the physical things, for the things that pertain to this physical world, finances, health, provision for your family, for yourself. Okay, one more. Romans 8 and verse 13. And here it says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are what? Sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. You see the same thing. You didn't receive the Spirit of God to be one who, where fear can impact your ability to overcome what the enemy wants to bring against you. But you receive the Spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If that doesn't blow your mind, nothing ever will. You're a joint heir with the King of Kings, the creator of the universe. Meditate on that one for about 20 hours. God put this really powerfully on my heart this morning. I'm going to pick on you now. I got his permission. (laughs) For what it's worth, he has no idea what I'm going to say. So he gave me permission, you know, to do whatever I want. I want to tell you about somebody who's conquered this because I think that You see, you understand that you, he intends for you to be a living testimony of his glory. Every time he does these things, he transforms you and you go from glory to glory and you end up in a different place with a stronghold for the spirit. You become a living, visual testimony of the glory of God where people can point and go, that's amazing. I see God right there. And so I'm going to talk about Ken this morning, the director of our pantry. 
He gets this one. Now he's got, like me, I'm sure Ken's a mess like I am. He's got 900 other areas that God's going to work on in his life. But I've seen God when I've looked at Ken in circumstances before as it pertains to this level of temptation in life. So I've been up there with him. I wander around like I know what I'm doing or something. And I've watched the machine of the pantry just like do this amazing love for people. And I've seen Ken, and it's growing. It's growing exponentially, right? So that hundreds of people are coming. I probably even have the numbers wrong. But it's growing to where Ken has told me stories about where he has said the numbers will come in and they don't have enough food. Or by the numbers, he's looking at the numbers. There's no way they had enough food to serve that many people. So he's told me the story. He'll scratch his head and he'll go out and check like, "Mm, no, the boxes are still going out. It all seems to be fine. And he has learned through walking through this that God always provides the food. I've heard him say that so many times I've lost count. You see, he has no doubt about it whatsoever that the loving father is going to provide for the people that the father wants to love when they have pantry. One time, I'm sitting there in the registration room where he is a lot on a pantry night, and one of the amazing volunteers comes in, and and I'm just sitting there watching this, right? I I feel privileged. I'm watching all this go on. And they come in and they say, Ken, Ken, we're kind of running low on this. Do you want us to hold back? Like not keep filling that into the boxes or whatever? And I watch Ken, and I see Ken in, in the utmost of peace step up in a spirit of admonition, really, and say, don't stop loading the boxes. He says, we're a, I hear him say, we're a food pantry. Put the food, give them the food. Put the food in the boxes. And then he says, if we withhold the blessing, God will quit providing the food. And so he says, don't, don't stop. Load, do it exactly like you're doing it, he tells them. Put the food in the boxes. And I'm sitting there thinking, I just saw a living testimony. I could see the peace. I could see the faith. And I could see that the principle here is that if you operate out of fear instead of love, God will withdraw the blessing on. I firmly believe that Ken, his faith in this regard, calls down the blessing of the kingdom of God on that man. I know that they see miraculous provision. Am I telling the truth? Because his faith brings down the will of heaven into the physical, into this ministry. I've seen it. I've stood there and watched it with my own eyes where I'm like, whoa, did you see that guy go? (laughs) Did you hear what he said? That's full of faith. You see, Jesus did the same thing. We read stories about he had a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish and he feeds several thousand people. It's because he passes this first temptation. He has absolutely no doubt that Abba Father, that his father will provide when it's needed. Now, I'm not recommending that for the agape meal today, you know, we put out a loaf of bread and a fish and and kind of see what happens. (laughs) The next temptation, we find out you're not supposed to test the Lord your God, right? So we'd probably go hungry today if we did that, but Ken gets it. If you operate out of fear, and this goes for every area of your life, if you operate out of fear instead of love, the blessing will be removed. He knows that. He's seen it. He's seen God. He knows that he doesn't have to fear whether that provision is going to be there. Who wants to be someone that calls down the power of the throne room of God into the advancing of his kingdom in this world? Okay. That means there are trials that we pass to get there. Even Jesus walked through trials that made him that person. You understand that when Jesus said, 
When he said, I invite you to my table in my kingdom, he's talking about more than a symbolic table. Actually invites you to his table where himself and all that he is on your behalf is there for you. This is what we're going to do. We're going to claim that we proceed from a victory. You do it any way you want, but bring your faith, even if it's a seed. I I don't care how big it is. He'll take a seed or he'll take a whole bunch of faith. So we just, we come to his table. So you understand we can always come to his table and it never runs out. It never runs out of the provision. His table is full. And we ask all these things in your name, Jesus. We declare the victory by the spilling of your blood. We thank you, Father, that you are a completely biased judge and that your victory is for us and nothing will ever take your verdict of victory on our behalf. God bless. 